My guest today is Ben Robertson, analyst at Stanford University. Coach, welcome to the show. Great to be back with you, Vass. Absolutely. Before we get into this, you hear the term analyst bandied about quite a bit. What exactly does that mean to somebody who's not in the college football profession or not super familiar with it? Um, it's very similar to a quality control role. Um, you get assigned to work with a position coach. So this year I worked with the inside linebackers with um, Coach Sanders. And um, so you're working on things like breaking down film, making cut-ups. Um, you're working with that group at practice. You are, you know, as you work through the game plan, you might have a certain portion of the game plan assigned to you, like, hey, you might be responsible for this. Or, you know, you might have the third down or red zone or snatch up a goal line or two-minute, four-minute or whatever. So you'll be responsible for presenting some to the staff and, and having a packet ready on, you know, the team you're playing. Um, you know, you, you'll... Uh, work with the scout team as much as you can as an analyst. There are some rules about what analysts can and can't do as far as instruction on the field. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's very similar to a quality control role. You can't do quite as much as the, as the graduate assistants can do. They can do basically whatever they want. Um, but it's a, it's a good way to um, start to put together game plan thoughts and you know, you, you kind of get to explore a little bit on your own without being responsible for the actual game plan, but you get to come up with ideas and, and, um, you know, work with a position coach and, um, try to get better. just like everybody else. So you said it's kind of like a graduate assistant. There's some, some overlap. What are the exact rules? Cause they change so often. What are the exact rules? for the listeners on, on who can do what and all that. I know you said they can pretty much do everything, but there's also restrictions yeah, in terms of their earnings and whatnot as well. Yeah. Different. Yeah. As far as the earnings go, I'm not really sure. Cause I've never really been a GA, but they get a stipend They you know, they do have to go to graduate school, which at Stanford, they have to be able to get into Stanford graduate school on their own. Um, so that's a unique deal. So the GAs at Stanford got into graduate school at Stanford all by themselves. So good for them. Kudos to them. Really smart dudes. Um, but the graduate assistants, there's really no restrictions on them as far as um, coaching on the field. Um, you know, when you're working with a position group, an individual providing instruction, um, being in a drill with them, those types of things, they, they're, they're really the same as the 10 countable coaches. The quality controls are not supposed to be on the field giving instruction per se. Um, every, every university's compliance department interprets that rule a little bit differently. Um, so it varies from school to school. Some QCs at some schools are able to do more, um, than QCs at other schools based on the way that the people there interpret the rules. So it, it just depends where you're at. Um, but you know, for instance, um, like when I was at Colorado State, when I when I was there at the beginning, they were totally fine with quality controls, showing scout cards, running the scout team, and all that. And then I think it was Pitt got in trouble. Their quality controls were holding practices and had a system set up to alert them, them if the compliance people were coming where they would play music in the indoor, something like that. And so our compliance lady saw that and changed her interpretation of the rule to say that, okay, quality controls can't run the scout team anymore. And so um, I wasn't allowed to run the scout team anymore, which was a bummer. So you do a lot of things on the sideline, like they technically called it administrating practice. So who's rotating in and out, um, what personnel groups you're going into or out of, um, you know, and then specifically in your position group, who should be on the field um, in those packages, you know, because you're rolling ones and twos through. Um, you know, showing showing the guys the cards on the sideline, going through plays, they're going to get, maybe you see someone make a mistake on the field at practice and you can get it corrected right then. Or say, hey, you know, they called this in the secondary. They probably should have called something else. You know, they just got it wrong. 
And so here's what would have happened if he'd have called what we thought he was going to call. And so you can kind of go through things like that at practice instead of having to wait till afterwards, you know, things that come up. So, you know, technically you're not supposed to be on the field coaching, providing instruction or else the big schools would just hire 14 quality controls and every player would have their own personal coach. And then, you know, you got competitive disadvantage problems there. So, you know, that's kind of what keeps the parity between the schools with unlimited budgets and the schools that, you know, try to stay within, within the rules and, and play with a normal budget. So that that's kind of why those rules exist, but every school interprets them differently. Some schools, they let you do more than others. So that's kind of what it is. Yeah. There's a lot of unknowns and, and the rules change every year. There was a rule. I won't say who it was or where it was. I don't care about statute limitations. I ain't no snitch. But there was a school that I knew that <laughs> they had one of their student coaches. And it was a smaller school, Division One. It was a smaller school that wasn't particularly on the map, maybe we should say. And they had one compliance person, if you can imagine. This is, this is like 15, 20 years ago. And the student coaches have the same, a lot of the same rules that the analysts do in, t- in terms of what they can do on the field, right? Right. So what he would do is he would carry around water bottles, uh, you know, a little Gatorade, little six-pack deal, and he'd put it down. And they had a code whenever this person would start to come by because you could see him coming up the street. They would have a code word. I don't remember what it was. And he would pick up the water and act like the water boy, but he was actually a second coach. So there's, there's some, you can be clever yeah, with that sort of thing. Cre- there's a lot of creativity in how it comes to doing that stuff. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about end of the season analysis, putting your last season to bed, getting ready to set the stage for the next season. Now, shameless plug alert. I did a piece on content for Huddle on this exact topic. If you want to see how I did this at the high school level. And actually, it's funny. I did this piece of content and I called some people about it and who I, who I trust. And they said, well, I don't really have a great process. I do this. I do that. But let me know what you find. And so I've ended up this became a little bit of a research project, not only for the piece of content, but for some some friends who. I thought they were going to be helping me out. So if you want to check that out, you just go to coachfastfootball.com slash huddle. Again, that's coachfastfootball.com slash huddle. But I want to hear Ben's thoughts. Now, Ben has been at Stanford, Colorado State. What, did I miss anything? Nope. You were at Colorado State Those for a very two. long time. Yeah, six years. Which in, in coaching coaching years, I guess it's like <laughs> dog years. That's a very long time. Yeah, that's it. That's an eternity. Eternity. Yeah. So I want you to take me through your process. I mean, from start to finish for all that you can fit into an hour. Yeah. Um, Let's go through that process and let's kind of break it down in what phases you do, if you wouldn't mind. Because I'm interested to see what guys at that level do. You know, I've talked to some people, but everybody's got a different process, so. I'd love to not only hear what you did personally, but how you, the staffs you were with and you, one thing about quality control guys that we didn't mention is they're one of the few positions that can be mostly not always, but are mostly immune to staff changes. So when you were Colorado state, you saw, was it two staffs, three staffs? I was on. Yeah. So I worked for two different head coaches and three different defensive coordinators. So you saw a lot of different processes and now you went to Stanford. You're you're at Stanford. You work with coach Shaw. They've hired coach Taylor. Yep. Um, So there's going to be a different process. So you're going to, you know, you're going to have a lot of different angles on this too. Not only just where you are, but who you're working for, especially, you know, head coach or coordinator head coaches can change rather, but coordinators, you know, they matter. They approach things very differently. There's things I just know from my own experience that I couldn't care less about that I know some guys that are like, that's my top five. So anyway, yeah. I want to hear about your experiences with these different staffs. So take us through your first step of your process. Yeah. So the first thing is, as you go through the season, you should really kind of notice things that sh- start to show up week after week after week. 
you'd be like, hey, we're getting a lot of this, or you know, this is something that teams are attacking us with. Maybe it's something like, hey, we're a huge man-to-man team, and we run with all motions, and so we just keep getting jet motion. Well, yeah, they're going to give you jet motion until you adjust to it a different way because they feel like they've got the advantage of all you do is just run with your guy. Hey, we're a four-down team, and we only play with a six technique, so we get nub-side runs on the backside of, of you know tight-end trips all the time. Um, or, hey, every time teams get in two-back or a 12-personnel formation, it's a variation of a slot formation. And they either wear us out in the vertical passing game in a slot formation, or they're running it back to the nub side. Or maybe, hey, every time they try to throw the ball, they get into three-by-one because we only have one three-by-one adjustment in split safety or we, you know, every time it's three by one, we check the three buzz because we don't want to play stubby or poach or whatever. So things will show up through the season as you, as you go week by week. And, and so usually about halfway through the year, maybe not even that far, you kind of start to see what teams are doing against you that shows up every week. So that's the first thing is recognizing what you seem to be getting all the time because, you know, they're telling you, what they, where they think they can attack you based on, you know, what plays they're running. They're calling these plays for a reason. They spent all week studying you, studying your structures, your play calling tendencies, and this is what they decided to go with. It's for a reason, right? So that's the first thing. <clears throat> so once, once you get to the end of the season, my process has always kind of been, okay, let's look at first and second down, right? And then I want to take out all the situational things that came up. So I want to take out, you know, obviously third down is a huge situation you want to take out. So first and second down, get rid of all the red zone plays, all the goal line plays, all the two minute plays, the four minute plays, get rid of all the garbage time plays, you know, get rid of whether you're up a bunch or down a bunch, you know, anytime you got the, all the backups in, get rid of all that stuff. And then I've always kind of started by coverage category, you know, whether it's, you know, and, and you play so much nickel defense these days that, you know, always I just kind of start in nickel, but I'll just start with whatever our most popular coverage world was. Maybe it was cover three week, or maybe it was man to man, or maybe it was quarters or quarter, quarter, half, whatever, whatever your bread and butter is, just start there, right? The, the thing you did the most of. <clears throat> so what I end up doing is, is kind of, um, and, and most of the software packages do this, but you end up making cutups for all this stuff. And, you know, it'll, it, you can have auto cutups made, you know, if you work with your video guy, if you're working on Exos, or I'm sure there's a way to do it in Huddle. But we take these, we take these coverage concepts, um, and then I, I will group them together by different fronts. So, like, if, I put, if you're an over-quarters team, but in week four you played, you know, the front a little different because you always wanted to set the three technique to the back or whatever it was, go ahead and group all that stuff together. Right, because you're really looking more conceptually than you are at nitpicky things like that. And but you will get into the nitty gritty of that. But you know, kind of start with the biggest slice that you can. And so you know, we'll we'll, we'll start with that. Let's just say over quarters is, is our number one call. That's kind of our bread and butter, right? You see that at all levels of the game. <clears throat> so I'm going to start by breaking down. Okay, I'm going to take that. Now I'm going to I want to pull out all the. I want to look at all the runs. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to start looking at some basic quickie stat stuff. Okay, what was what was the yards per carry that we gave up in our over quarters call? And then how many explosive runs were there? And so the first thing I'll do is I'll always want to go back and see where the explosives came from. So if I called that defense 100 times versus the run or 70 times versus the run, and there was only a handful of explosives, you know, then you're probably feeling pretty good about it. So, but I always start, I always start with the explosives and then trying to figure out what's the common link between all these explosives, right? Maybe it's uh, a certain, maybe it, sometimes it's as simple as a certain play. Your guys just clearly didn't understand how to defend. Maybe it was, Hey, we were really good against zone schemes, but, as soon as people started running power and counter and all these gap scheme plays, we struggled. 
or maybe, hey, you know, we struggled with tight end side runs, right? Or maybe it was, um, hey, we couldn't, the QB read runs we struggled with. You know, they're running, uh, you know, um, uh, power read or, you know, whatever you call it, whatever you guys want to call that play. Power read, Nikki Bash, whatever. I've called it a bunch of things. Um, swack. <clears throat> um, so looking at the explosives, you know, like, and sometimes, honestly, it comes down to, hey, they're exploiting a the player, <laughs> right? My, my, my uh, strong side defensive end is getting his butt whooped by these tight ends. And every time they run it, they knock him off the ball five yards and we have no chance, you know? So sometimes it's a player who keeps showing up on the explosives tape. And sometimes it's, Hey, we obviously didn't do a good enough job coaching this, right? Like, Hey, our, 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 our adjustments to the fly sweep stuff is terrible. And so teams hand off these fly sweeps all the time and our defense is getting circled. You know, we, we, we can't set an edge out here, you know, or whatever it is. So those are the types of things you're looking for um, on the explosives tape. Um, and then I'm kind of just looking at, okay, um, looking at basic numbers. What, what were the yards per carry? Um, and then you'll kind of just make a cut up and, and I would, or, you know, the, the run cut up of over quarters. And I want to see it from um, the least gain yards, you know, starting with the TFLs to the most gain yards. And so I'm looking at it in, you know, the sequence of good to bad, basically. And then, so on the flip side of the explosives would be the TFLs. How did we get our TFLs? Was it, did we, were we winning one-on-ones? You know, do we have a, uh, you know, were teams running bad plays against us where they didn't have an angle or numbers or whatever, you know, or, or maybe it's, you know, Hey, our, our boundary corner is a really good run defender. Um, It could be all kinds of things, but where did the TFLs come from? Um, you know, obviously, you know, you're going to go back and look at TFLs as a separate category on its own. Was it coverage? Was it pressure? Was it, you know, these categories of defense? What was it that got us our TFLs? Um, but as you start to watch the cut up, you know, you'll, you'll start to see, you know, what you're looking for really are trends in my opinion. Um, you know, cause one play in a vacuum is, is, you know, is, is tough to draw conclusions off of but yeah what what you're looking for is is you know trends um you know is it is it um you know it it could be anything from hey our nickel's a really good run defender and when he gets that low hat read i mean it's triggering in there and he is not shy about you know tackling these running backs or hey we did not you know our defensive lineman did not do a great job playing lag technique right we struggled to play behind blocks or, hey, our linebackers clearly don't have an understanding of our fallback fits in quarters. Um, you know, we're, we're struggling to adjust to moving targets when they run split zone or counter or power. Those are, those are the kind of trends you're looking for um, as you watch some of the run tape stuff. Um, and then we kind of take that same process with our over quarters call and we apply it to the pass game. The only difference that I, I would, um, um, or I guess really, I should have mentioned this before. When you, when you make the, when I make the cutoff, I really like to organize it from most popular thing to least popular thing um, until I get to the part where I want to watch it by yardage. So, you know, I want to see like all the two by two play, you know, 11 personnel, two by two, you know, and then the runs as, um, you know, group all the runs together. Uh, by popularity so like maybe zone read was the most popular run you got and then maybe it was power and then maybe it was counter because <laughs> you'll start to see trends with hey we didn't you know we weren't spilling the you know the tight end on split zone at all and as a result we we gave up some big runs you know we, we misfit it because the defensive end wasn't spilling it or hey the defensive end was spilling it but the linebacker wasn't getting outside that guy and the and the ball's bouncing on us or you know whatever it is those things keep to sh- keep showing up um again then when you get to the pass game i definitely i really like breaking things up 2 by 2 and 3 by 1 and then again looking at it conceptually so 
putting all the smash concepts together, putting all the four verticals together, putting all the, you know, the Y cross or the OPOs together, putting all the crease wraps together, the screens, all that other kind of stuff. And then, you know, again, we'll look at the numbers. Um, in the past game, the numbers that we've kind of looked at have been, what's the completion percentage? And then what's the yards per completion? And there's usually like an inverse relationship there. So if the, what you hope is that if the completion percentage is high, the yards per completion is low, right? Saying that, okay, yeah, they're completing some balls, but they're throwing a lot of check downs, right? A lot of short passes, a lot of stuff out in the flats where you're kind of designing the ball to be thrown. And then as the completion percentage go, you know, when, when you've got something where the completion, completion percentage is lower, usually you're kind of going to see more yards per completion there because now, you know, they're throwing the ball down the field. You know, it's like, do you want to throw a bunch of five-yard out routes or are they going to just take shots where they might only complete a third of them, but when they complete one, it's for 30 yards. So it's, it, there's kind of that inverse relationship there. So, and then you're looking for, you know, things like, hey, <clears throat> it could be something as simple as like, hey, um, you know, in our over quarters, when it checked the cover two in the boundary, we clearly did not teach this corner to play his zone top down. And when they run smash, he's jumped the short, the short route and they're throwing the corner route over his head or, Hey, you know, they're, you know, we really struggled to, to stop the crease route into the cover two side. You know, they they cleared out the vertical hook guy and threw the dig in behind him. Like we got to work that concept and we've we got to do a better job teaching that. You know, or maybe it's guys getting beat to their leverage and man-to-man. Like, hey, we, you know, we're playing divider rules here. We should be outside leverage. And, you know, the, the safety got beat outside. Like, that can't happen. You know, or, or you're getting beat over the top. That certainly can't happen. You know, so um, trends show up more and more. And, 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 you know, conceptually, you know, as the season goes on and, and teams see how you're playing and, and what you struggle to defend, you know, a lot of offenses, they just copycat stuff. And so, you know, if there's a route concept you struggle to defend or some, or a formation you struggle to defend, you're going to keep getting it until you get it solved. And so if it's something you haven't noticed as the season's gone along, this is the time where you're kind of saying, okay, this is, this is a reoccurring thing. We either need to A, coach this better, or B, we need to play this different, play a new call, play something we haven't played that's really good against this, or, hey, maybe we need to adjust, you know, in our in our over quarters when they send somebody in jet motion, we need to have a better adjustment to this because we we can't set an edge on defense. We don't we, we've lost our edge. You know, or we've got guys who don't understand what portion of the play they're responsible for. Do they have the jet the jet play or do they have the run play that's being run or faked the other way? So um th- this is kind of where your scheme evolves saying, hey, we can still play over quarters, but we may need a different version of over quarters, or we might need to to play more cover two into the boundary because, you know, playing quarters in the boundary, um, you know, that safety run fit is tough. He's getting cracked. The crack of place isn't happening. Why don't we just make it corner support, and now we can show up a lot quicker and, you know, things like that. So, um you know, or if you're a four-down team and they get you into the nub and then run it back on your six technique, hey, maybe we need to be able to play a nine technique over there. Maybe we need to look at something more basic, like how are we aligned with our linebackers? Maybe we don't have enough people over there. Maybe they've got really good angles over there, all different kinds of things. So that it, it, that it it's kind of where you, you start to say, okay, we've got a, we have a schematic problem here and we need to solve it here as coaches so that, you know, we put our players in a better position to have success as we move forward. So that's, that's kind of a a very general outline for how I would, you know, take my calls and, and break them down and then start to start to watch them. Uh, And just the way I kind of think about it um, as you, as you do your self scout in the off season. I'm excited to introduce coach vast defense, a comprehensive out of the box defensive system with everything you need to coordinate a top tier defense Coming in early 2025, the system is a one-stop shop and comes with a complete, robust defensive scheme with tools to get into any structure, including even, odd, mint, tight, bare, stack, 
three high, and more. It comes with an NFL-level playbook with run fits and route matches, narrated install videos with a schedule for implementation, and a library of answers for every offense you will see, including the spread 11 personnel offense du jour, the air raid, the Bryles offense, option schemes including the flex bone, the wing tee, three back, and much more. It also comes with a drill and game film library, live in-season game planning sessions, templates to help you organize practice, opponent breakdown, and tools to make you a better play caller. Whether you're new to coordinating or a grizzled vet looking for new ideas, this system will have something for everyone. If you want to see all the details of the system, visit coachfastdefense.com and make sure to sign up for the mailing list to get updates and invitations to webinars to have your say in the system's creation so all of your coaching needs are met. Again, go to coachfastdefense.com, check out the details, and sign up for the mailing list. Right. So beautiful list there of things, and I have a couple of questions. The first one is, when I was putting my thing together for Huddle, is that one of the issues that you have in football and especially at the lower levels where you don't have a PFF or you don't have something to give you some sort of range is how do you weigh your opponent and how good your opponent is? I told the story. I'm, I'm sorry. I've told this before, but you know, I told it on the, on the huddle piece where we had, a, I don't know. I'll save you all the details, but we had a call that, we got we ran it one game. We got shredded. Um, I got gun shy about running it again, and I was going to throw it away. And Brandon Lechtenberg came out and he was consulting with me, and we looked at the call, and he says, "Pull, pull up the clips." And I I pulled the clips up, and that blitz, there were one to two unblocked people in the backfield every time. But the four times we ran it, the the running back was like out of his mind. It was like Barry Sanders reincarnated. And made like did like these crazy juke like matrix style jumps. Well, you know, I was I was ready to throw that call away, and we ended up calling that on uh, the the two point game to win the section championship. Team went for it, and we called that blitz, and we got to stop. It was a huge call for us the next year, and I was willing to throw that away because I just looked at the numbers, and obviously, I'm not just going to look at the numbers and in. And without watching the film, but you still kind of, you hesitate for a second, but, and conversely you see, oh, we're over quarters. Look at that. You know, we're giving up 1.2 yards per carry, but you only ran it in two games and the two games you ran it was your, you know, your worst team that you were playing. So, I mean, how do you, how do you factor that in when you're doing this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I think, that's something that's happened every year I've ever gone back and done self scout is you pull up a call and you're like, wow. And sometimes in my experience, it works the other way around where you go and and it happens more, I think on third down, but you say, wow, that like from the numbers perspective, that was a great call for us. Maybe, maybe this blitz on third down. That was like, we were six out of seven this year on this call. I should have run it way more. And then you start watching the cut up and you're like, well, the receiver dropped this one, but he was open, right? The quarterback misfired on this one, but he was open, even though open doesn't count, right? Or, ooh, we got bailed out here. And so at the end of the day, the tape, you know, the eye in the sky doesn't lie, right? The, the numbers are very easy, not very easily manipulated, but the numbers are really there to kind of just paint with broad strokes, um, but nothing really substitutes getting in there and and being critical of yourself and and your coaching and your schemes when you get in there and watch it. So when in doubt, watch it, and and you'll get a much better picture when you go back through and and watch the tape as compared to just plugging some numbers in. The numbers are there to just kind of guide you, give you a little perspective. But at the end of the day, you got to go back and watch it and, and just be critical with yourself. This is a time to be critical of yourself, you know, <clears throat> and, 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 and really like one of my thoughts in, on being a college coach is that it's really easy because between the season and recruiting, 
and spring ball and then recruiting again. And it's really easy to not make any time as a college coach to really explore schemes outside of yours or talk to other guys or clinic with other guys. Because just in the, in the, in the yearly schedule, you really have to be intentional to do it or you won't do it, you know, and you'll just kind of do the same things over and over again and you'll get stale with what you're doing. Uh, and then one day you'll look up and be like, man, we haven't really changed anything in three years. It's no wonder we're not very good anymore. Like we're still trying to play something that, you know, like this was a good call five years ago and now it's a terrible call. Well, the game's evolved and you haven't evolved with it. Right. And so uh, it's a tough thing to do, but you, you really got to be, you know, critical of yourself and, and the scheme stuff and how you're coaching. And, and you've got to be intentional about getting out there and finding answers. Um, you know, cause at the end of the day, our, our job is to put the kids in the best position that we can for them to be successful. And, and that, you know, often means we need a new scheme or we need a new tag on a call or we need a new technique or we need, we need something. But, you know, you, we can't just keep doing what we're doing. Or, you know, the game will pass us by. So uh, when in doubt, I say all that to say, watch the tape and go with the tape. The numbers are great. Follow follow what the tape says. <laughs> yeah, I get weirdly suspicious of numbers. Like when I'm scouting a team, I'm not suspicious of the numbers because you're looking at wide swaths of data. But when you're doing your own calls, I mean, you know, you say you take out garbage time, right? But what happens when you're in the late third quarter and you're up by 21 and you're playing, you know, Tampa two and they run the ball and you can get 10 yards. Do you really care? I mean, you know, but then the next play they throw a pick cause they, you're sitting back deep and th- you're trying to throw the ball over your head and you pick it off. Like who gives a shit? What I really looked for when I was looking at data wasn't so much the number, but the differentiation. So there was one year where we ran, the, I don't even remember the exact concept, but we were like giving up four yards to carry, which is not great, not horrible, kind of, you know, you want to be a little bit better, but you're not, you're not killing yourself over that one. And then there was another call where we were only giving up three, three yards to carry, and it was maybe run 50% of the time compared to that first call I mentioned. And it made me stop and go, Oh, okay. You know, why is this happening? Yeah. So this leads me to my next question. And this is one thing I've been after besides writing it down or putting it in a Excel file or tagging Mm -hmm. it somehow, but I guess maybe this would be part of the answer you would give me, but you know, when I did the the huddle piece, and I hate to keep referring to that, but I literally put this out a week or two ago, <laughs> so it's on my mind, trying to figure out the best methods for doing qualitative data to me- tag an issue using the same words where I could at the end group it all. And what I found when I did this, you know, back at Sarah's, I would use a notepad and I would put just... You know, D-line, inside backers, safeties, corners, and I would put, you know, I would even split up the D-line. So I would have D-tackle, so it'd be like reached, tally mark, you know, and then as time went on, I developed a column for, I got this from Bama where they would do issues, and that was more formations and scheme, but, you know, you could you could start a column, it was like DT, I don't know, there's spitball in here, but like DT problems, right? And then you put, you have a word, and as long as you call it the same thing, you use a number if you want. Like number one is reached, number two is base, number three is, you know, you didn't get friction on the down block and you got trapped or whatever. It doesn't matter as long as you tag it the same. So you can easily go through a season of data because I I don't remember what year it was, doesn't matter. But I went through a self-scout and watched a whole season. At the end, I went, man, I really didn't learn anything. Like, I, I don't feel like I, I knew a bunch of stuff, but I didn't know how to channel that because I didn't have a, it was garbage in, garbage out, right? You, I didn't have a process. So how did you, you know, when you're doing that and you're going through and you're watching the film, so to speak, I mean, how are you then 
marking the information to say, hey, we need to do this. We need to work on this or to, to identify the patterns. Yeah. So my first year at Colorado State, what I did, and this is probably a little excessive, but I think it's a good process, is I opened up a notebook and and that that first year we were a pretty big fire zone team. And so I pulled up our, our number one fire zone and I started watching it. And I was liter I would literally take notes on every single play on what happened. Someone did a good job, someone did a bad job, there's a scheme issue here. And so once you get about thirty plays in, you're like, Man, this is like the fourth time I've written that a defensive lineman didn't make the trip on a spire zone stunt. Or like, hey, we've got a real issue when two and three get close. We do a terrible job passing off these routes between a tight two and three. Or like, hey, our dropping defensive end clearly does not understand his piece of the coverage here, right? It was like, this is the fourth time I've written this down and I'm 20 plays in, right? <clears throat> and so I was li- it was literally a handwritten document that went for about 50 or 60 pages. Um, but I, I think to your point, one of the other things I'd, I'd like to bring up here is that you can do, you don't have to wait to the end of the season to self scout yourself. I think you should be doing some form of self scout after every game, not just what are we calling, but what's working and what's not working. Like when someone turns our film on, what are they going to see? They're going to see that, you know, we can't keep, we can't keep, we can't stop pin and pull to save our life. Right. So, you know, if they show any pin and pull at all, you can be sure you're going to get a bunch of it the next week. And okay. Why are you bad at pin and pull? Well, cause the linebacker doesn't understand that I've got to, you know, uh, he doesn't understand his fit when he's got two pullers, you know, in know, in over quarters or, you know, I've got a six technique who, you know, can't get, who, who can't be the tight end or, you know, I've got support players who are bad at reading run pass. Uh, you know, they're they're running the ball, and my my you know cloud corners over here reroute one playing pass. You know, whatever it is. So, one of my general critiques, or or some, you know, when I become a coordinator, we're going to spend more time than I think anywhere I've ever been on Sundays kind of being critical of ourselves and saying, okay, what do we just put on tape? What keeps showing up? Like, what do we need to get fixed right now? Like, let's not wait till the end of the season. Let's fix it now. And so, you know, what a part of the process of that is not only when you're, when you're watching on a Sunday after a game, as you're grading film together as a, as a staff or in December or January, whenever you finally get around to watching season long cutups, but, you know, every coach is sitting in there with a laptop taking notes saying, okay, you know, and sometimes it's not as detailed as your, hey, my my defensive tackles have been reached every single time they run the stretch play, we get reached. Or every time they double my three technique, he gets kicked out the club. Or every time they run split zone, my dude can't, my end can't spill the ball or he won't spill the ball or whatever, whatever the case is, you know, and so your point of sitting there and just taking notes and, 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 and grading it almost um, is, is kind of what it sounded like to me, but that's, that's something I think you should be doing every single week. Like every, you know, spend time on Sundays. I think sometimes we're really quick to just try to close that game out and go to the next opponent. Well, you know, that film is really important. That's what the other teams could spend all week studying. You know, let's spend some time studying ourselves and saying, okay, what are not just schematically, but what are our issues? You know, how are they going to attack us? And then how can we either work on it to be better, where we know we can be better, or two, hey, you know, we might need to start doing something different here to give ourselves a better chance because, you know, what we're asking these kids to do is just hard for what we're getting. We need a better answer. So, you know, to your point, you know, one of the one of the specific examples I can give you is when I worked for Chuck Heater at Colorado State, 
he wanted a um, every Sunday just a really brief self scout, and for him it was what what he wanted to see was, you know, first and second down. The way he saw the game is he said, okay, I can be in, I can be in split safety coverage, I can be in single high um, man or zone, or I can be in in a pressure single high pressure. And so those were the kind of his three worlds of, of defense. And so, okay, tell me how many times I was in each world. Am I, am I, you know, leaning more to one than the other? Cause he liked to be pretty balanced. And then on third down, we got pretty specific on, you know, calls, you know, what, what, not just what coverage world, but specifically what call were we in. And so every Sunday I did, uh, I did a, uh, a self, uh, just a real quick self scout of the last game we had played, and then the season cumulative, and that's really easy to do in an Excel document. You know, just looking at your data. Um, but I thought that was great because, you know, you could come back and say, look, <laughs> like we are terrible at two man because, you know, because of X, or like, hey, every time we play man to man on third down, they're throwing it on this guy or, you know, whatever the case is, you know, whatever happens to come, or, hey, our pass, we, we do a terrible job containing mobile quarterbacks in the pocket, and these, these guys, we're just getting scrambled on. We, we've, got to, we've got to do something different here, you know, because this next guy we play is a mobile dude, and he's just going to run all over the place on us. So <clears throat> you don't necessarily have to wait till the end of the year to start, to start self-scouting yourself. Um. And then, and then too, I think you're right on with, you know, get in there and start taking notes and start tallying stuff. Hey, you know, if, if I'm the inside linebacker coach, how many times did, did we misfit? You know, is it a technique issue? Are we not using our hands? Do we not understand, you know, where our power comes from? Or, you know, is our base way out of whack? Are our feet terrible? You know, is our eye, do we not understand our eye progressions? Or is it, hey, you know, we clearly, we are really bad fit. You know, we can't find our fit on a gap scheme play, you know, or whatever the case may be. So, you know, to your point, that, that is kind of what's happening as you sit in there and watch these cutups is every, every position coach and every QC and every GA is kind of in there taking notes. And then, you know, one thing I've done in the past that was kind of cool was as, as issues came up as the QC, I kind of kept a master list. So by the time we're done watching a full season's worth of cutups, you know, I might have six or seven pages of notes that could be as specific as like, hey, these are specific plays we want to pull to rep in the offseason or add to a teach tape as we teach a coverage or teach a run fit or whatever um, to like, hey, the safety's, you know, the safety's fishtail technique in cover two is terrible. You know, we can't play half over one to save our life as easy as it seems like that should be. We're struggling. So that's that you're absolutely right. That's that is that is what's happening in those staff rooms as you as you go back and watch cutups. Um but again I would encourage you, you don't have to wait till the end of the season. The bye week and Sundays are a great time to get some of that work done and to try to stay ahead of the game. I mean, yeah, that's that's so important, and that was one of the things when I went to Bama that they do is they'll tag the issue column in not only their scout film that they see, but the film, you know, their own film. And so what's the quickest way to come up with stuff you need to work in spring? Just run that report. Just run that report. So I, I think that's pretty cut and dry because – you 100% need to fix those things as you go. However, there are other reasons that you need to log these things, like stuff to study in the off season. You know, you can try to fix things in house. Not as easy to pick up the phone and call another coach in the middle of the season, unless they're on a buy yep. to, 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 to figure that out. Uh, and, and you're probably familiar with this process being around the Alabama, Georgia guys as much as you have been. But it, it, even if you're a high school coach and, and you've got, you know, a certain number of spring practices, you know, if you've got a team that does something unique on offense or something that gave you trouble, spend 10, 15, 20 minutes in a period in a spring practice and get that specific thing taught with your players. Like, Hey, 
if there's an RPO concept you're struggling with, or hey, uh, we play a, a huge jet sweep team and we can't let we can't get leverage on a jet sweep to save our life, you know, spend time in the spring, or even if, you know if you don't get spring time in tra- in training camp, like be proactive about solving these issues. Don't wait till the week of the game to say, all right, guys, we got to be good this week on this now because they do this a bunch. No, be intentional, be deliberate, spend time in the off season and, and get better where you are weak. Um, you know, you can even go so far as to take a, take a 15 minute period in a, in a spring practice and, and put, you know, put a little mini game plan together. Maybe you're going to play an air raid team or you're going to play a flex bone team, or you're going to play a jet sweep offense, or you're going to play, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. And, and spend time with your guys and, and get things on tape, right? That's, that's the beauty is you can, you can roll it out there and put, put film on tape and, and try something new. And maybe you might get in there and watch it and be like, ooh, this is a terrible idea. Or like, ooh, look at all the box of worms. This opens up. Okay, we need to modify it or we need to scrap it all together. Or, hey, we need to, we need to start calling people we know who have defended this well and and see what their thoughts on it are and so um you know be proactive about solving your issues quickly because if you don't they're only going to get worse 100 percent. one other question before we move on is you said early on you're looking for ways that you got attacked and themes uh, not only things you had to worry about but those 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 things that you mentioned about the jet sweep playing man what are some things for coaches that, you know, you're studying the cutting edge of offense, you know, you're out in the Pac-12 where there's a lot of really great offensive minds. Taking this a little bit in a different term, but what are some of the things that you think that high school coaches are going to see in the next year or two from things that you've seen this past year? or even going back a little bit that you think may be an issue for guys that we need to start worrying about. I think the, the, the jet sweeps coming back. <laughs> There's a ton of jet motion, jet action out here on the pack 12. Um, and it's tough. And for good reason, it's tough to deal with. Um, you know, certainly the, it's not as RPO heavy as I initially thought it was going to be out here. Um, I say this, there are some really good players. I know that Caleb Williams, you know, he torched us and he went on to win the Heisman, but I mean, he's, he's, he's unbelievable. Um, I, you know, the, the jet sweep seems to be coming back, you know, as, as we're recording this, you know, like a couple of days after the passing of Mike Leach. But I think, I think one of the things that some of these really good offenses out here have in common is they have all, decided to get really good at something and they can hang their hat on it. Like, you know, Chip Kelly is going to use his tempo and he's only got about, you know, like his passing tree is conceptually is not very big, but between the tempo and the window dressing, you know, it looks different every week, but it's, it's just, it's really good stuff. You get, they do a really, you know, they do a really good job of stressing you on the perimeter. If you're not sound on the perimeter, your defense is going to get circled in a heartbeat. And that thing kind of carries over, whether it was USC, UCLA, Oregon, um, who else? It really kind of depends on their style of offense. But those, those kind of spread offense guys, if you don't have sound structure on the perimeter, you're going to be circled in a heartbeat. And you're going to be like, how did the ball get out there? Why is it running down the sideline uncontested? And it, and it seems like they do a great job of, of, of getting you circled on defense. I, like, I remember watching, and I haven't watched very much of it, but I've watched quite a bit of Oregon defense this year, you know, just in, in watching other teams' offense. You know, one of the breakdown games was often Oregon. And and there there is some carryover from from the stuff that you see in the SEC, 
But some of the concepts they played were stuff I don't really remember seeing that much from the Georgia-Alabama system. And I think it, and, and I've often had this theory, you know, when, when you watch a team that's got a prolific offense like USC or Oregon or UCLA, and then you watch them play defense, you see, like, they play defense the way they do because it, it has a chance against what they do offensively because they got to spend all spring ball and all fall camp defending themselves, right? And so that's what they get good at is that stuff. And then they take that into the season with them. So, like, you, you watch USC on defense and they play a ton of cover two in Tampa. Well, if you want to, you know, that's a great way to keep your defense from getting circled is play corner support to both sides. You know, and then they're in there stunting up the run fronts to, to junk it all up and make the ball bounce and, you know, keep runs from, from creasing straight downhill. Um, you know, I, so that's one of my own little personal theories about watching these teams play defense is, you know, they, they, the base structures are like, hey, if I'm USC, my defense is set up to defend Lincoln Riley because that's who I have to defend, all, you know, all spring and all fall. And then I just carry this over into the season. So like watching them play all the cover two, and and then I'm you know I'm watching Oregon, and I'm like, man, I, I don't remember this much like vision cover, you know, unmatched cover two as I'm seeing. But you know, to defend the Oregon offense, that's pretty good stuff because of how they're going to attack you on the perimeter with all the jet stuff, all the formation into the boundary all the side-to-side offense, I guess I would call it. Offensive trends, I mean, they go up, but then they come back down. So I feel like a lot of times college coaches will take an idea that they see in high school and make it better, and then it comes back down refined. So, I mean, these are just good little nuggets of things that we need to be looking out for. Yeah, and and there's a lot of offense in the Pac-12, you know, between – you know, what they did at Oregon, which was, I, I thought that Oregon offense was exceptional. You know, the 12 personnel that you get from Oregon State and Utah, uh, and certainly they have really good tight ends, so you got to put those guys on the field. Um, but, you know, USC, you know, Chip Kelly is, is still doing his thing on offense, and it, it helps when you have, you know, the, the, the high-end quarterback play that those places have. You know, I mean, Caleb Williams and Bo Nix and, and DTR were, they're all the real deal, um, for sure. But, yeah, the, the side-to-side offense seems to maybe, maybe be making a comeback, a lot, of, a lot of pre-snap jet motion. So now that I have distracted you and take us off a different path, let's finish up your process for that self-scout off-season plan. Yeah, so we've kind of covered what the general process is for our first and second down over quarters call. You know what what, what you're going to do from there is all those situations. So first, you're you're going to apply that same thought process to all your first and second down calls, um, and you're going to you know you're going to go through the whole deal, the whole season, and then you're going to go back through and you're going to pull things out situationally that you had originally taken out. So now you are going to go back and look at your at your red zone defense. You are going to go look at backed up, goal line, two minute, four minute, um, you know, end of half, end of game situations, all those all those specialty things. Now you are going to go back and look at all those things, but you're really going to apply the same basic process. Um, sometimes you know it, it can be difficult to figure out. Okay. Like, what do we consider a win in the red zone? Is it if they kick a field goal? Is it if, you know, and again, like, these are situations that, you know, where you said sometimes the numbers on the tape don't match. You know, like, you forget that, oh, this drive started because, you know, our offense turned the ball over and, you know, now they're starting to drive at the seven-yard line. Like, okay, that's not good. <laughs> you know, all they need is seven yards and they, and they, and they, 
they're scoring a touchdown. And so it's not like you just gave up 70 yards and a touchdown. Like they only had to go seven guys. Like that's, they're going to score a majority of the time, but you're, you know, you're, so you, you really got to work together as a staff to figure out, okay, what are we going to constitute a win in the red zone? You know, and for, for, I think most people are, are using some kind of scale of, okay, 60% of the time or 70% of the time we want to hold them to a field goal attempt or something like that. But certainly, you know, your, your run efficiency numbers are going to change, you know, because in the open field, a one yard run would be a win for the defense. But if they're on the one yard line and run it for one yard, that's a loss because now they're scoring a touchdown. So things, things do change in the red area and on the goal line, you know, two and four minutes, you know, did you, did you get out of the situation? You know, did you win the game at the end of the game? And at the end of the half, did you keep them from scoring? You know, it, it gets a little clear, but you, you're going to apply the same basic process to those situations. Um, you know, to try to determine, okay, you know, what kept showing up, how the team's attacking us in the red area, you know, um, you know, is there something we need here? Is there a scheme we're missing? Uh, is there an adjustment we need to make to our current scheme? You know, you might need, not need a whole revamp, but you might need to put, you know, maybe a different variation of your over quarters in there. Or, you know, you might need a call to, to play a certain you know, hey, we kept getting this route concept. We need to be, we need, you know, we need to be much better against this, or, you know, we need to adjust the way we're playing the nickel here, or, uh, you know, we need to change the way we're, the safety's reading this thing, or, or whatever. Um, so I, that's really what it is, is, is looking at situational football. Um, and then, you know, obviously third down is a huge deal. Third down, third down can be tough because, it's so dependent on, you know, the, the game plan for the week. You know, what route concepts are you getting? How are you dealing with standout wide receivers? What protection schemes are you trying to beat? You know, all those all those different things. It, it just becomes so much more game plan dependent, which is which is kind of why I was a big plan of uh, or a big proponent of doing your weekly self scout, especially on third down, because that that's just so. Uh, that's just so dependent on things like game flow, you know, and, and like, would you call on the last third down? I think that gets, you know, I think that's where great play callers really make their money is, is on third down, um, you know, and, and, and understanding how the game's getting called from both sides. So um, third down, you know, again, you're looking at the same thing, you know, looking at things conceptually, Obviously, it's going to be almost all pass until you get to the third mediums or, or the third shorts. And so, you know, you, it's a really great time to, you know, be critical of your, your coverages, your secondaries, you know, the way your guys are playing. But it is the same basic process that you followed with your, you know, first and second down over quarters call. Nothing really changes that much. Awesome stuff. All right. Last set of questions from me. I want to start with down and distance. When you're doing self-scout, and I know it's one thing to do when you're you're scouting opponents, how you split the field up and all that. But when you're doing a self-scout, how are you splitting up the down and distance columns and categories? Great question. So first, areas of the field. So generally, okay, um, from the zero to the 10-yard line is backed up. You know, when, when they're on their goal line coming out, that's backed up from the, from the 10 out is, it's just open field. Um, a lot of people will look at high red zone, which will be like, I've done it from the plus 35 down to whenever you get to your red zone and, and everybody's red zone is kind of different. Sometimes guys will tell you for us, it's at the 12, it's at the 15, it's at the 10. Really it's whenever you start making your red zone specific calls, you know, whether it's attaching red to the call or maybe you've got a whole different red zone package, whatever it is, but it's going to be somewhere down there, the 12, the 15, some teams will take it all the way out to the 20. I think that might be a little far, but, um, you know, the high red zone from the, you know, from the 35 into whatever your red zone number is, 
And then usually most people start the goal line, you know, like the two yard line. Some people go all the way up to the three or anytime they get into really big people, if they get into the 22s, the 23s, the 13s, the 14s, anything like that, even if, even if it's on the five yard line, if, if you're going to match, you know, like, like bodies, you know, put that into the goal line category. So that's areas of the field. And then, um, for, you know, when, when I'm looking at first, you know, first and second down calls, I will, I will include all of, all of the first and second downs, even the second and one second and twos, which is often a garbage down, you know, on defense where you're thinking, you know, uh, very likely for them to take a shot, you know, because if the shot doesn't work out now, it's still just third and one, third and two. Um, you know, sometimes you, you'll get bread and butter run plays there just to go ahead and try to get the first down and move to the, move to the next series. Um, but yeah, so all, all first and second, all first and second downs, um, will, will go into that category for me. And then third down is usually organized, um, third and 11 plus, um, third and seven to 10 third and three to six and then third and one to two. Um, but that is, that is negotiable on a week to week basis. Um, as you, as you watch them on offense from, you know, whether you watch it from third and one to third and long or third and long to third and one, um, you know, a, a team might break their, break their identity, uh, at, you know, four yards to go, maybe third and three is a rundown for them. You know, and so maybe one week, you you know, you might say, okay, third and one to three are all the same calls now, and now it starts four to six or four to seven. So again, that's another place where the where the game plan could could throw you off a yard here or there. Um, yeah, but generally for me, it's third and eleven plus, third and seven to ten, third and three to six, and then third and one and two, and then fourth down. Um, usually, there's. Uh, you know, you asked about trends earlier. Now that now that we're talking about it, this is a big one that pops up. Um, I think anytime the ball crosses the 50-yard line, you've got to be prepared to go four downs. And so, you know, when the ball's on the 40, the plus 40, and it's third and 10, you're, you really might not be defending third and 10. You really might be defending third and five because if they get it to fourth and five or less, they're going for it. So in their mind, they're not really trying to get all 10 yards right now. They're just trying to get, they might be trying to get five to 10 yards here, right? So their, their menu of plays is much wider than you think it is. So that's actually one of the trends that's coming in the call in, into ball. Um, now going through this season as teams going for it a whole lot more on fourth down, um, which I think is the right thing to do, but I think it's becoming more popular. Um, you know, some of that I think is analytics driven. Um, but, but to answer your, your earlier question, a lot more fourth down plays than, than I ever remember. Um, fourth down, it's fourth down. So dependent on, you know, game flow, time of game, obviously a lot of fourth downs are on defense are going to show up in garbage time when you're up a bunch and you know the team just has to go for it on fourth down, you know, and you're and you're you know you're just making a call to not get the ball thrown over your head because at that point in the game, you know, the biggest enemy is the clock, not the other team. You just need the clock to keep running. So, um, you know, that's all stuff that has to be factored into that as you watch. Um, but yeah, so for yardages for me, that that's kind of the general rule of thumb how I've always done it. Great stuff, my friend. So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, always a pleasure to hop back on and uh, do one of these with you. So before you go, drop your Twitter here. Let everybody know where they can find you. I know that some coaches have reached out to you in the past, and you've been super responsive, and everybody tells me. Well, I already know this, but everybody tells me how nice you are. So please go ahead and <laughs> drop that. And, um, and And if you have any questions about what Ben's talked about or otherwise – Please reach out to him. This is the, is this the third time you've been on the podcast? Uh, second, 
second on the podcast, but I did a bunch of those Tuesday night footballs with you. That's right. And you did something for the Patreon. You did a, a defending the flesh. That's, right. that's what I'm thinking about. I get those, those wires crossed. Yeah. No, that, that was, that was good. I, uh, that Patreon deal was nice. I like that. Yeah. Um, by the way, thanks for putting the ball on the tee. Join patreon.com slash coach Vass, where you can hear from guys like Ben tell all their secrets. Yes, ben actually do. took us through defending the flex bone. Um, it was mostly out of an on front, yeah. Yeah, the Patreon was intense. We went on for three at that. We did that for almost three hours, didn't we, Vass? Yeah, it was a while. We did. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And and if you've ever watched the odd front teams, Army Navy defend that stuff, and you're like, man, I really want to defend uh, this this offense from this platform on defense, and you want to learn how to do it. And and just by the way, so you don't roll your eyes if you're listening. He brought it up. I did not bring this up. This was all Ben. So I don't want you being like, oh, there goes Vass doing product placement. That was all on him. But <laughs> I appreciate it. But blame him. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. We're gonna have to have you on next year. I'm I'm booking guests for next year. Yeah. You want to come back on? Yeah, yeah. Sign me up. I I had a lot of fun doing that. I actually I had a couple guys who were on the Patreon hit me up on on twitter and i ended up meeting with them independently helping them get ready for one of the opponents they were going to face this year oh that's awesome yeah yeah maybe we'll have you on to talk about defending because uh, everybody's gonna watch usc's offense this year so you can talk about some of the ideas that you have for that <laughs> yeah yeah uh hopefully uh caleb williams graduates and leaves and the next guy's not as good that'd, that'd be a good start <laughs> yeah <laughs> That guy, uh, he is he is special. At first, I was skeptical when he was at Oklahoma, but he's unreal. He is the real deal. There's no doubt. All right, my friend. Will you take care, and I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, Vess. Appreciate you.